<laughs> Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Sen Mums Career Club, a podcast exploring the highs and lows of trying to climb the career ladder whilst raising children with complex or additional needs. My name is Lisa Miller. I'm a journalist with three children. My eldest daughter Beatrix has a condition called Kabuki syndrome. She's under various medical and therapeutic specialists and attends a Sen school. Every week, I'm joined by a different guest to discuss work and ambition through the lens of special needs parenting. Today, I'd like to introduce Helen Burness, a legal marketer who runs two businesses, Helen Squared and Salt Marsh Marketing, and is a disability advocate. Helen has two children, a 12-year-old son and a daughter, Marigold, nine, who has a rare condition, trisomy 3q11 mosaicism. Helen, welcome. Thank you for joining me and taking a leap of faith here. This is season one, episode one of the pod. It's a real passion project of mine. Oh, thank you. I am. I feel very privileged to be your first guest. Good. I'm thrilled. Um, Now, I found you through LinkedIn, where you post openly about the challenges you face as a working mum and special needs parent. And you're a self-described accidental entrepreneur. So tell me, how is it that you have ended up running not one, but two businesses? It's a very long story if I cast my mind way back to the beginning of the noughties because I'm that old where I made a intentional decision to work in legal um, I wanted to work in the, the legal profession because it was a global profession I really wanted to work internationally um, and my first job was working for a huge big corporate law firm that was expanding internationally um, and I look back and I think wow what an amazing time that was because it was before remote working and I was just on planes going to all these international offices across Europe and Asia and like dread to think about my carbon footprint that would never happen now (laughs) but you know at the time pre-credit crunch pre-covid you know pre pre pre-internet almost pre-email um it was um a, a great thing and I got to see a lot of the world um but then I spent a bit of time at the bar after that and then I had my first child I had my son And then I really, really wanted, after he was born, I was, you know, just really wanted to focus on motherhood, really. So I tried to find a flexible, more part-time job. And it shows you how much the working world has changed in that in 2012, so not not that long ago, I was told by recruiters, you won't won't be able to find anything part-time and you really won't be able to find anything where you can work flexibly. It's just really like few and far between. You might find a job where you can do four days a week. Um, And I thought, well, that's rubbish. You know, it shouldn't be that motherhood and a career are, you know, mutually exclusive. I still want to do my senior level job, but I just want a bit of flexibility to look after this small human I've created. Um, And I was very lucky that I met two very forward thinking female founders in law who said we're going to set up a virtual law firm. We don't think we need these big offices, which house loads of lawyers. We think we can have this small, agile business and cut costs for clients. So I was lucky enough to start working with them. And I worked flexibly and part time through having my daughter Marigold, Um, saw the company through startup, through to exit. Um, And at that point, 
I thought I'm just going to start doing some some freelance work. It was when Marigold's health needs were, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, um, her health needs, you know, needed a lot of attention. So I started off doing a few freelance projects that grew into my first business, Salt Marsh Marketing, um, which is more of a consultancy. Then I realized there were a lot of small businesses in legal that needed really, really good quality marketing support. So I collaborated with a fellow marketer also called Helen, and we formed Helen Squared. And along the way, I also managed to grow a community of women in legal who are driving change, who care about change and progress in legal. Um, that's called She Breaks the Law. So I've got my two businesses, my pro bono passion at She Breaks the Law. And I do often look at it and go, how did we end up here? Because I'm pretty sure uh, in 2018, the, the idea was that I just did some stuff under the radar. <laughs> um, and that is how I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> You're just so good at business. It just just happened. <laughs> they just I sprung don't up. Know. I am not. Interestingly, I am. I am not. I have never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Hmm. I've always wanted a pension gym membership, job security. <laughs> um, so it's, but actually finding this way has given me a lot of security because I know at the end of the day, the buck stops with me um, and I'm responsible for, you know, my own business and my own business growth. Um, so it's, it's actually turned out to give me a lot of well-being in that respect. Good, good. Is there anything specific to, to Marigold's condition that that impacts or has impacted your work more severely than than anything else, do you think? There's so much, there's so many layers to it, right? And I was thinking about this question and I was remembering, you know, the build-up to going back to my first job, at uh, my job um, after I'd had her. And I was working at that time in my fantastic female-founded visionary law firm. Um, and I loved that job. And it was almost you know, I really wanted to go on maternity leave and I was delighted to have a sibling for my son that was so close to him in age. But I felt like, oh, I'm, you know, we're achieving so much. And, you know, it's a small business was really, really having impact. So I kind of quite reluctantly went on um, maternity leave the second time um, round. And then it was a difficult, obviously, maternity leave. We had um, three and a half months into that Marigold had um, a very severe apnea episode, um, stopped breathing, you know, it's called a blue episode. We ended up in hospital and that's where we actually got her uh, rare genetic diagnosis. And then the rest of maternity leave was just constantly having new appointments, new specialists, you know, being told that she would need ENT, um, you know, um, cardio, um, cardiology, um, brain scans. And, you know, every time you go, they're like, oh, actually, we need to plug you into audiology. We need to plug you into ophthalmology. We need to get this checked out. So I could just feel all these appointments just, you know, building up and building up. And I kept thinking, how am I going to cope when I go back to work, which I really wanted to do. And I remember the first week back at work, I think like literally the second day back in the office, I had this OT appointment. It was the first OT appointment. And they said, you've got to come to the development centre. I live in London. Nothing is near. I had to like leave the office, say to the office, I've got a lunchtime appointment, 
get on the tube. It took me longer than I thought. Was ages at this appointment. And then she said, well, this is a block of six. You have to come every week for this. And I just remember bursting into tears and going, I just, I can't do that. I can't spend half a day out of the office. I've only just come back after maternity leave. How can I spend half a day out of my four day a week, you know, job coming here? And I always remember how overwhelming that was. And this OT took pity on me and was like, okay, let's, let's try and come to your house to do this. Um, so there's the, the fact that you are just constantly, you know, battered around the healthcare um, and services system, trying to get to all these appointments and trying to organize everything. And that's really overwhelming. But also one of the things that was particularly hard for Marigold um, in the initial years was respiratory infections. Because she has weak muscle tone, she has something called hypotonia. Um, when she was getting a little bit ill, as kids do, they get sniffles and colds. She wasn't able to really clear the secretions as well. So they'd end up pooling and then getting infected and then she'd get a temperature and then she'd be very, very ill. And I would say from, you know, being born from my, but particularly from about year one to probably she was about four or five, we just had repeated respiratory infections. Um, and it was that those were the hardest times because we were sleeping probably about two or three hours a night. We'd go to bed, we'd hear her coughing, you know, we'd get up, she'd be, you know, in the bed, raging temperature, being sick. We were getting no sleep. Um, she kept having hospital admissions. And I think the combination of her being so ill that affected her development. Um, we were constantly on eggshells waiting for the next infection. Um, and I, you know, my husband just used to get out of bed, you know, and he had a really full on corporate job at that time. Um, but he would, um, you know, she'd get up in the night and we'd be like, oh, she's coughing, she's ill. And I'd have her in the bed. And my husband just used to get on the floor, not even with like a mattress. We were so <laughs> tired. He would just literally get on the floor with a duvet and go, I'm just going to sleep here. And then one day he went to work. We'd had a really bad night. And I just got this email from him saying, uh, you know, I don't really remember driving into work this morning, but I must have done because I'm sitting at my desk eating breakfast. Wow. And I was like, OK, that's pretty bad now. Mm. You know, that's pretty bad. So I think that was a real, um, you know, some of our darkest times really trying to navigate that whilst working. Mm. Uh, I think that's such an interesting point because, uh, well, <laughs> lots of interesting points in there, but, you know, the sheer volume of appointments and specialists mm. you know when I tell people that my, my daughter has kabuki syndrome I think there's maybe if they ever think about it at all it would be oh well then you see a doctor for kabuki syndrome that's how I would have thought about it you know yeah, pre yeah. pre B if only my special kabuki, kabuki syndrome <laughs> yes. doctor how awesome yes yeah. um, but instead as you, you know she's under 10 medical specialists for all of her various yeah. needs associated with that um and, you know, aside from all of those needs, there are those secondary issues, you know, um, like mm. constant infections, as you say, which then have the knock-on effect of sleep deprivation. You know, one of the the really challenging times for us was when Beatrix started learning to walk. So she was, you know, her development was delayed. 
she started to walk when she was about two and a half and she'd also had a major hip surgery um, at nine months as well and spent um, months in a huge spiker cast, a kind of half body mm-hmm. uh, mummy set up, bless her. Um, and she eventually started to walk, but she also has low muscle tone, you know, which is, you mm-hmm. know, often associated with, with these kinds of syndromes and, and conditions. And she's also hypermobile poor kid didn't stand a chance you know she was very Mm. wobbly for a very long time um she didn't run for a very very long time but she'd try you know and she'd fall and she'd hurt herself Mm. and it was this constant like when she was in a different room just waiting to hear for for the bang you know and the shout it it was awful and you want to give them that independence of course she needed to learn to walk but it it's really difficult and that that kind of thing weighs on you and I do think it it is something that unless you are in this boat with us you wouldn't know about that it is the constant and kind of you saying that one of the other things we have with marigold is is choking she Mm. uh, can eat she has a safe swallow and we were getting that investigated for a while but she needs always to be supervised when she's eating because she just loves to stuff stuff in that little face so like you know plate of pasta brioche has to be watched um, and we've had some quite, you know, scary choking episodes. She's very sensitive to heat. So there was a particular episode where um, she swallowed a piece of meat um, and she thought it was, you know, fine. It wasn't hot, but then it was hot when she bit into it and, you know, it, it hurt in her throat. And then, you know, she 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 panics and she starts to choke because she's bringing up lots of kind of liquid. So we've had um, a lot of choking episodes and, we had one actually just the other week and this always happens. I don't know whether you find this happens with you, but we had her EHCP review meeting and they said, let's look at her eating plan. How is she doing? Has she had any choking episodes recently? And I was like, no, she's doing, she's doing really well. And since I've said that she's had two choking episodes. (laughs) And I'm like, what, what is that? But I think it's that constantly, like when we're eating, I'm watching her. I'm like, and when I see her, like just anything touch her throat I'm like does it hurt does it hurt you you know that just chips away at you that hyper vigilance of constantly having your eye on your child because you know you know they can't really be independent in a a neurotypical way Mm. it does take its toll it does and you know we don't we don't have that that same situation with Beatrix but she even you know she struggles to feed herself because her her Mm. remote skills you know still aren't as they would be if she were a neurotypical child. So she, you know, struggles with cutlery, for example. So it's a, and she, she loves her food. She loves her food. So she shovels it in and it's just a constant, like most of it goes on the floor unless you're kind of helping her a bit, you know, or she gets frustrated because she's trying to scoop against the side of the bowl and the strawberries falling off the spoon and then it doesn't make it to her mouth and she just gets really frustrated. Um, So, you know, while it's not scary, it is mm. it is just a lot you can't just sit down and enjoy a meal you know um and again yeah. it, it's that kind of thing that does that does weigh on you that that, that people might not understand is yeah. there before we go into part two of the show i'd like to give a shout out to our sister podcast baby on the brain join stylist magazine's felicity thistlethwaite as she takes a mainstream look at the big parenting issues from finding your identity after children to combating sleep deprivation. It's an informative listen, packed with expert views, lively debate, 
and laugh out loud moments. Discover Baby on the Brain from Stylist Magazine, wherever you get your podcasts. Has there ever been a crunch moment for you where, you know, I know you talked earlier about the OT appointment and the block of six and feeling like I can't do this. Has there ever been a moment I guess more recently, you know, now you have your own businesses um, or, or, or in the past, a, a different one where you felt, I can't do this, you know, I'm going to have to give up work. Yeah, no, there have been two specific moments in time. And I remember the first one so well because it was my 40th birthday. You can timestamp me here by, by <laughs> me talking about this. Marigold was like, I think she was two and a half. She was in this like period of just constant respiratory infections and we were so run down and and I'd organized this big um 40th birthday party you know with an 80s theme because I was still deluding myself that I could have a really really good social life <laughs> at that point and I'd built up to this big party and invited everyone and made a big thing about it and in the the week running up to the party she was just getting ill and I could see it and I was like oh god and then the day of the party, I was like, I don't think I can have my own party. She just seems like she's really ill. And my mother-in-law, who's kind of a legend, said, just don't worry. We'll sit with her and, you know, you go to the party and have a good time. So I went and, you know, I mean, you know what it's like. I was kind of trying to have a good time. But in the back of my mind, my mummy radar was like, oh, you shouldn't really be here. And we got home at like two o'clock. Obviously, big party had had some drinks had been imbibed and I could see the light was on in the living room and I was like oh and I got in and my mother-in-law was like she's not good <laughs> and I was like okay okay and so I stayed up with her all night trying death just thinking oh god you know please be okay had no sleep like all Sunday what should we do what should we do and then by the Monday took her to hospital for breathing support because she was really struggling and then spent all week in hospital where as you know like they are the least conducive places when you are a parent carer for getting rest and it was the worst hangover ever I was like <laughs> oh my god this is just traumatic and I remember my you know the founder that I worked with my employer I was phoning her up and saying, I can't cope. I can't do this anymore. I just can't, you know. And she said, you know, she was so good. She said, you know, Helen, very gently, she was like, Marigold needs. Because at that time, for me to go back to work, we had got um, a nanny. And that left us some negative equ equity. You know, I was paying to work. Yeah. But I knew I had to do that because I wanted to keep my, you know, my toe in. We had a mainstream na nanny and she was very good, but looking after a typical child is so different to looking after a child with special needs. And um, my founder said, um, Helen, you need a, a different nanny if you want to work because the difference, it will be like the difference between night and day. And you do need someone that's medically qualified probably or is qualified to, to look after a child with special needs because I think that's what you need. And then she was like, look, I think take a break. No, it's coming up to Christmas, nothing much is going to happen. Why don't you take a break, find the right childcare, and then we'll talk about you coming back. Um, which was a big thing. It was That's a small amazing. business, yeah. really small business. I, you know, played a big part in that business. Um, so I'm eternally grateful for her letting me do that. And then I went back three days a week 
did a job share for a bit, which was amazing. Really, the job share really worked, but it was a small business and it was hard to keep that that going. So, you know, it it ended up with me doing three days a week. And then again, Marigold had another admission. It was when my husband had gone away on a business trip all weekend. He was like, should I go away? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Don't leave me on my own. Uh, and then he got on the plane. And by the time he got off the plane, I was like, I'm in hospital. Oh, gosh. And then I was in hospital all week with her, had to draft in my in-laws to look after my other my other um, boy. And then at the end of that, I said, um, I can't do this. Even on three days a week, working from home, one day a week, I just can't manage it. And that's when, again, one of my founders said, well, why don't you start doing some consultancy? And why don't you consult with us as your client? And then you can like build up other clients, but why don't we do that? And then you, you know, you can compartmentalize it all. So really I say I've been an accidental entrepreneur, but it was heavily facilitated by Jambi Patel and Denise Nurse, who I will name check <laughs> because they were pioneers in, you know, finding new ways for people to, to work and, you know, have parental responsibilities and have care responsibilities. Um, so those were two points where I just said, I just can't carry on like this. And that's what propelled me into setting up my own business because I felt that was the only way I could manage it all if I, I could manage it, you know, in the way I needed to. There's a really fascinating stat that I read in Jolie Brealey's uh, fantastic book, um, The Motherhood Penalty and How to Fix It. Uh, Jolie, the founder of Pregnant Then Screwed, the uh, incredible charity that I would imagine lots of people listening to this will be familiar with, um, working in the in the space of women and work and motherhood. Um, and in that book, it says that um, of parents with disabled children, only 3% are in full-time work, as we traditionally understand it. Um, oh. And it's shocking. But honestly, my reaction to that is that that is a lot of women doing that you know, doing that, making that yeah. work or having to make that work. It's very, very difficult. It is very, very difficult, you know, and I think yeah. the vast majority of women, you know, you say 3% in full-time work and you think, well, that's a lot of women out of work, but I don't think that they are out of work, you know, um, some of them maybe, and yeah. that's okay. That's also okay. Um, but I think a lot of women just have to try and make work work for them in the way that yeah. there aren't these traditional terms that we would understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only reason I'm making it work, I would say, and me and my husband have always said this, that because of the complexity of Marigold's, you know, healthcare, there always needs to be one of us in pole position for appointments, leading on the appointments, leading on the endless admin of everything, you know, organising appointments, working out, you know, what we're doing, where are we and everything, you know, where we've fallen down the gaps. That's my life going, okay, well, that was supposed to happen. That hasn't happened. So how many layers of chasing up do we need to do to get, you know, her basic rights? Um, but it's also the, you know, day sickness, like, you know, you do get more day sickness. We've just had a really bad season for respiratory because we've had repeated lockdowns and COVID. And now I think we've gone full force into normal life. And actually there's been, you know, people have not got the tolerance. And so it's been a really bad season for the respiratory. So we've just come through, you know, winter of, I'd say, Marigold being off at least kind of, you know, a couple of days a month at least. And the yeah. only reason we can manage it at the moment is because me and my husband um, swapped roles. 
about 18 months ago. He gave up his very all-consuming corporate job as global sales director for a technology company so he could do more flexible consulting because my two businesses had ramped up. Um, but he now is the one that's kind of having to lead on that. And I've had moments of going, I can't sustain this. You know, it's really hard. I'm running two businesses. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, because it is really hard. And then he said, well, I can go back and work, but then I'm going to be traveling loads and I'll be away. And that means that you will then be in the pole position. So it's really hard. We can we can only do this when there's one of us that's that's taking the lead. And I think even if you are lucky enough to have a full-time, let's say a full-time paid for nanny, which, you know, I know some high income um, families do, but even then you have to be present at appointments as a parent. You have to be plugged into your child's development because you have to advocate for them. So that's the only reason um, I feel like I'm making it work at the moment. You know, I I really hear that. Um, similar in my in my case, my husband does pick up a lot of those appointments and things. He is self-employed, um, and I often think mm. that's the you know, if he weren't, how how would we do this? Yeah. Is there anything else that you can that you do that that you feel is is the way that you make it work? I just like to say is when my husband is like much better at it, which is like really, you know, gutted about that. But when I was doing it, like he would finish work and I'd be like, it's like pasta and, pasta and pesto again for dinner, um, third time this week, but I haven't had time. Whereas he's like, I come down, he's made like this amazing, like Indian, fresh Indian buffet and wow. fajitas and like the kids are eating really well. And yeah, so, you know, that's the wonderful thing about true equality is you you get to, you know, discover that you are really good at the things that, you know, the other spouse had been gender stereotyped into doing. <laughs> so other things, sleep is absolutely fundamental to my well-being. And it took nearly losing my mind through lack of sleep in those early years to realise how important that was. And I mean, you know, I was just... I, need, I am a person that needs sleep, but when you have a sustained period of like two hours of sleep a night, three hours sleep a night, having to get up at three o'clock and then not going back to sleep, that does make you lose your sanity and it, it made me unable to cope. The problem, this is a real problem in the parent carers of disabled children, children with special needs, young adults, adults with special needs, is that often sleeping is, is a real issue. You know, I know kids with special needs that sleep three hours a night. That's that's just what they sleep, you know, um, and that then it becomes really hard to be on your A game to do whatever the day job is. So I feel like we are lucky. Marigold's sleep is not great. She um, thinks our bed is her bed. She is in that bed as much as she can be. Um, there is a lot of her being in the bed and us carrying her to her bed, her waking up and coming in our bed. It's very difficult when she's ill, but generally we get sleep and that is absolutely fundamental to me being able to cope. Um, and, and what else do I do to make it work? I mean, honestly, it doesn't a lot. You know, mm -hmm. let's remove yeah. the airbrushing <laughs> about like, you know, I get up and I do yoga and I do mindfulness. I, you know, the, a lot of days I'm just a real hot mm -hmm. mess um, going. I just, you know, 
but I mean, I do, I am lucky that I have, a, you know, a, a great teamwork with my husband and we do it as a team, um, you know, and we've been able to pass the baton between us and we approach everything as a team. And I'm, I'm so grateful and I see parents doing it on their own and I take my hat off to them a million Absolutely. times because it's the hardest. Um, and we found a great school again, that you know, involved a massive fight. It shouldn't be a fight to get your child, disabled child, the education they need. But the school has been an absolute godsend. And, you know, she's living her best life in that school mm. with people who are devoted to inclusion and, you know, opportunities. And knowing that they are on the journey as well is just, is brilliant. Amazing. How has parenting Marigold changed your ambitions or your or your outlook on work, if if indeed it has? It, well, it really, really has. So first of all, you know, I am driven and, you know, it's it's a thing that it's very difficult to talk about as a special needs parent, but I'm constantly driven by what happens when I'm not around yeah. anymore. How do I build a stable future yeah. for her, um, a stable financial future? How do I make sure she's provided for because she's not going to access a traditional kind of, you know, I'm going to university now, I'm getting a job or, you know, an, any other pathway to sort of, you know, um, uh, working. I mean, I hope the world will become inclusive enough that she will be able to work and gain some independence because she'll have supportive employers. But I am driven by I need to create a stable financial future for her. That makes me want to work. That makes me want my businesses to succeed. And I feel huge pressure um, for them to succeed because I've always got that at the back of my mind. But also she's given me huge purpose. Like I would not be doing what I do in legal now if it was not for her as, um, you know, a disabled girl, as, a, you know, a what would be a woman that sits at the intersection of disability and, you know, being a woman. I am driven to make, create equal opportunities, to drive gender equality, to drive disability inclusion in the legal industry. So she gives me real fire in my belly to drive change on all levels. And I wouldn't care as much about what I do if it wasn't for that. So I wouldn't be doing this job if you know it wasn't for the experience with her. But at the end of the day, it's just huge perspective as well. You know, because I don't, it's very hard to get when you've seen your child really ill in hospital and when you've seen other children so ill in hospital and this is your world of like disabled children and their, their you know, challenges, you know, it puts everything into perspective about what really, really yeah. matters. So she's given me perspective. She's given me purpose. Above all, I think it's really humbling because you cannot... <laughs> It's quite, you know, funny to sit and do a really important strategic, like high level presentation with loads of lawyers and then immediately have to go and like play Doll's House or like pretend to be, you know, all of the many like, you know, dance around the living room to uh, to to the greatest showman or something um, with a learning disabled like nine, nine year old. It keeps you really, really humble and quite joyful. Yeah, yeah I, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> um... That leads really nicely on to uh, what I wanted to ask you about, about your disability advocacy. Because um, I feel very early on in processing my place in this world, um, 
be six. We got her diagnosis uh, the month before she turned two. So, you know, we've sort of, although she has always had all the issues from birth, we didn't know why. We didn't know whether, you know, um, they would be permanent, so to speak, you know, and we didn't know whether she'd catch up. Um, and, you know, then then we learned that that would not be the case. And, you know, it takes time, doesn't it, to um, fully appreciate, I think, what, what that means, what that means for your child, what that means for you as a as a person, what that means for you as your family. And, and as you quite rightly say, what that means, you know, for the future and for your priorities. Um, and I am just in awe of your bravery at tackling all of this stuff head on um, so publicly. Um, one of the reasons I, I wanted to reach out to you um, was that you posted recently on LinkedIn about connecting with a client who also had a child with disabilities. And I just thought, I'm just going to read a little bit of it now because it so perfectly fits with the ethos of what the Send Mums Career Club is about. And you wrote, it's always such a joy and a relief to speak with anyone who gets it, who's on the journey as well. Because unless you're in this world, daily fighting the system, dealing with various care needs and often challenging behaviours as well as navigating your way through a broken system, you can never understand the invisible load we carry. I'm reading that, I'm reading that again just now. I've, I've sort of got goosebumps. I just felt so seen oh. in a way that I just don't think I really had before. It really resonated. So thank you, first and foremost, for writing that. Oh. And I just hope that anybody who has found us here and is listening to this, I, I this is what I really hope that we can give them a little bit of that as well. You know, we are here. You are not alone. We are We are all in this, doing this. We might be doing it quietly. We might be doing it secretly because we don't want to rock the boat, you know, with our employer or whatever it might be. We might be struggling. Um, I really hope that we can, we can give our listeners here a, a little bit of that sense of you are not alone. Um, did you get any kind of reaction to that post? We sort of joke when I do training. Um, I'm always like, you know, I, I know I will always get um, a huge response and very high engagement and huge visibility on you know any post I do with Marigold because it ticks all the boxes of like, you know, cute child. But also I think, you know, it's it's very from the heart. It gives people do want to understand disability inclusion and it gives people a chance to align with it and support it. And I think I feel so strongly about smashing the narrative around all of this. And it's taken me going back to your point about the process. I remember one of my lawyers, I used to do a blog, right? This was before like Instagram, before LinkedIn became the place it was. I used to do a little WordPress mm -hmm. blog. How quaint. I would um, post that on Facebook for my friends and family because that was my first step into just sort of saying to my friends and family, this is my world of, you know, disability with my daughter. And what that helped with was I didn't have to go out and then answer loads of questions about what's going on with Marigold. And I was, you know, that was my way of letting that circle of um, people know. And then I moved it on to Instagram because I was doing some work with Zebedee, um, the ta um, diverse talent representation um, agency, Marigold's still part of their team, um, which is, you know, putting disability in, in groundbreaking advertising campaigns. But in there as well, I felt like we all care about disability here. We all have children with disabilities or we're, you know, people who identify as disabled, who are supporting each other. And so the journey to getting it on LinkedIn has you know, I've only done this probably over the past 
18 months. And I think lockdown, everyone says this, lockdown was that real time that we took all those, you know, barriers away and just went, this is my life on LinkedIn as a platform. And I remember one of my lawyers sharing one of my original blog stories on LinkedIn and me saying, could you take that down? And her saying, oh, why? I thought it was such a good piece. It's about like you fighting for the EHCP and it's really important and lawyers should know about this. And I was like, well, I'm just too worried that um, people will think I, that they don't want to work with me because I've got all these care responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I want to take that early version of me and just give her a little bit of slap around <laughs> the face. <laughs> which my um, therapist would say don't do that give her a cuddle but um, <laughs> I know because that's how mm. I felt I was like I can never sustain a career because I'm you know I've got this huge responsibility and it's you know been so transformative so now I'm like yes I will share it really openly it is a core content pillar which makes me good at my job I'm great at my job because I've got purpose because I've got perspective you know, I care about all this stuff so much. Um, but also I want to make other people that it doesn't touch care. I want to connect with those influent, influential people in the C-suite of whatever companies that need to be thinking about. Actually, I, I need to make this a properly inclusive workplace. But to do that, they need access to the stories. They need to see it. They need to... And I'm a huge believer in stories are really powerful agents for change. And I think when people understand someone's personal story, that that's what galvanizes action over facts, over figures, over the you need to do this because it's an important, you know, box to tick. And it's resulted in some, you know, me sharing openly has resulted in some some wonderful things. Um, this podcast is one of them. But um, I'm particularly proud of some of my actually two of the my female founders I keep talking about that I worked with and another client who came together in lockdown through me sharing what was going on and they founded um, a charity called Support Send Kids which is bringing legal professionals together on a sort of you know technology hub um, along with parent carers to answer questions about the EHCP so they have taken the story and they have it has helped them create something that's that's really, really needed, that bridges sort of a gap. Um, and that I, I really feel like if we can share, that's the kind of tangible action we can create. But it does take a while. It's a very sort of personal yeah, journey, I think. Absolutely. When you're advocating for this uh, inclusive future, you know, you've mentioned a few times, what what does that look like or mean mean to you? It means so many things. I mean, it means just everybody. The the inclusion isn't even something we really talk about. It just is, you know, it just means going to a shopping centre and knowing there will be disabled toilets, you know, knowing you can go out for any kind of experience or any kind of day that a typically developing child can do and you can access it and you don't have to worry about that. Um, and you don't have to, you know, make all these plans in advance just to kind of function as it were. It means people not looking at you and looking at your child because they are behaving in a different way, not doing a double take because your child is in, you know, Marigold has a, 
a sort of very what's it called sort of a trail sort of wheelchair pushchair that we can you know take cross country and we get looks because it looks a bit like a buggy and I think people just think oh is she a a big lazy child in a buggy I mean you know I've had comments before like oh you should be up walking you know, we have to just, I know, right? It's oh, so, yeah, it's so different. It's all that stuff. It's, and, and it just, you know, going somewhere with ramps, with access, with, you know, people just including and making the world accessible and carers and parents being able to work and pursue careers they love whilst caring for children that they love. I love that. Perfect. Finally, um, I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence. The biggest lesson raising a Sen child has taught me is. Oh, I didn't. Re- I didn't rehearse this, by the way. But just as we were going along, it came to me. I think sometimes, you know, your biggest what you think is going to be your biggest challenge actually ends up being the thing that that really makes mm-hmm. you. And I think I'm always very careful say stuff like that because raising a child with special needs is really hard um and I don't want it to you know I don't want to kind of um airbrush it all and make it all inspirational because it is really hard but when I scratch the surface about what I would change about Marigold I want to take the sickness away we don't love the sickness it's stressful but her disability is part of her it makes her her and I don't want to change her for the world but I do want to change the world for her yeah couldn't agree with that more I could not have said it more eloquently myself um I couldn't have said it anywhere near as eloquently and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would would hopefully understand that feeling as well so that's all for episode one special thank you to my guest Helen Burness for joining me on the first ever episode You are now officially part of the Send Mums Career Club. I am so pleased to be a founding member. (laughs) If you want to be part of the club too, join us on social media and share your story. You can find us at Send Mums Career on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn or use the hashtag Send Mums Career. We're new here in the podcast space and I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. And of course, come back next time.